Welcome to the Fitness Oracle, where we have real conversations with real people just like you, with real stories just like yours. And this is one of those stories. I am your host, John Katsavos. My guest today is Tatiana Horte from Crazy Grief. She's originally from Brazil, but New Zealand has been her home for over the past 18 years. She started her professional life as a dancer, which turned into a 20 year career. She works. She has worked as a missionary for the YWAM, where she was, where she met her husband, Jason, and together they had the privilege of traveling the world and perform in several countries for several, for several years. She also made a modest living through her artwork, holding exhibitions and selling paintings to see her through university where she completed her bachelor's of theology as well as a degree in performing arts, which led to her becoming a professional actress and eventually, move, and eventually moved to achieve a master's in creative writing. It was at the end of her master's degree that her husband, Jason, passed suddenly of a heart attack at the age of 50, leaving her and her two daughters behind, which led her to create her podcast, Crazy Grief. Tatiana, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, John. It's a pleasure to be here having a conversation with you today. Awesome. So how's the concussion going? Oh, the concussion. Yes, um, it's tricky. I never had a concussion before. And um, it's um, some moments I just feel like what is happening to my brain. So if um if at any moment during this podcast, I kind of stop and look a bit vague, it's one of those <laughs> moments. So just guide me through it. Okay. No problem. I completely understand. I've had six of them. I know how hard they can be. Yeah. And the headaches and the exhaustion, it's kind of hard to, to lead a normal life through, through this. But one of the things that actually it's a blessing, um, I was trying to bake a cake the other day and my daughter was doing something for me and she kept on asking me questions and my brain just was like, it, it kind of tricked me. And I'm like, I can't do those two things. I can't bake a cake and answer a question. And um, it was really, it was a really weird moment, but that led me to an epiphany, which was perhaps this is the time for me to learn to do one thing at a time and to be really present with what I'm doing. I don't know yet how to do that because in my life, I feel like I'm doing several things at the same time before, but now my brain just cannot cope with that. So maybe it's a good time for me to learn this new skill, you know, and be more present with whatever it is that I'm doing or with whomever it is that I am. Yeah, that's uh, planning actually helps a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bad at planning, John. I'm an artist. I kind of just go with the flow, you know? And so, yeah, I'm, I, I'm having to learn how to plan. And, and that it'll, is an, it'll another come. skill. It'll oh, come. it's another skill, yeah. So walk us, walk us through your, uh, the final days of your master's, your master's degree, uh, when your better half left this world. What followed after that? Okay, so um, basically what happened was I had already finished um, my course to some degree because I had submitted my thesis. Um, it was a master's in creative um, screenwriting. And so I, I wrote my first feature film. I had written short films before, but this was my first feature film. 
And it was very much based on my personal um, story coming to New Zealand as a Brazilian, marrying a Maori and the clash of cultures. And so it was kind of like a drama slash comedy. And Jason had a lot of input into it, you know, and I spent a year writing that through my, um, my course. And so um, there was a lot of him as well in that script. And then he was a big part of um, my career in so many ways. I always drag him to help me set up the stage and do different things. Um, and so I had already submitted all of it, <clears throat> excuse me, and um, I got a message back from my, um, my tutor saying that um, I had to, he had to resubmit to a third party um, to do a grade, to grade it because there was some discrepancies. I can't remember exactly what happened. And so I wouldn't be able to get my results back, but he said it was really promising, you know, and um, so I, what I did was in, while I was waiting for, you know, my, um, my final notes or submission um, from my thesis to be approved, I started pitching um, my script and writing, you know, treatments and everything else that would go with it to start presenting it to producers. And Jason, at the time, Jason was a counselor, like he um, was working at a all boys Catholic school. And he, we have two daughters. So we, we had um, one, the first pregnancy that we had um, was a boy, but we lost that baby before um, the baby was born. And so um, he always wanted to have a boy, you know, and, and so he got 1700 of them. And, and he was working um, with the boys and he loved it. He was so involved with them. And while this is happening, I am trying to pitch my film. And Jason, because I was studying and he was so supportive of me, he had, uh, for the time of my master's, he held two jobs. His second job was in the movies as well. Both of us kind of were in and out of the industry at several times. And he was working for this um, movie called Power Rangers. And he was on, um, he was on set when he passed away. And it was um, in a Tuesday evening, the 9th of May. And I remember him saying to me, he left after dinner. He said, I'm going to be home really late tonight, honey. It's going to be a late shift. Um, you know, they're going to be filming in too late. And then 10 o'clock, there was a knock on the door. And I thought it was him. And I just went, why is he knocking? And when I opened the door, it was my brother-in-law. And even before he said a word, I knew, I, I knew that... Um, that Jason had died. And it was like that moment was like, um, I'm sorry, I get a little bit emotional just thinking no, about that's it. That's totally um, fine. That moment was the moment where I felt like the whole earth cracked and my life felt like it was over with Jason's life. Yeah. So, Needless to say, you know, I didn't do anything with my, with my script anymore. I just, um, I stopped acting. Basically, I stopped because I could not do anything. I fell into a dark depression. I had anxiety. I had panic attacks, which I had never had before. So I 
I thought I was dying all the time. I had very physical, um, my grief was very physical and it showed up in all sorts of physical symptoms, which I then start thinking, am I going crazy? Am I losing my mind as well as my health, as well as my husband? And on top of that, of course, I had the kids and they were 15 and 12. And we don't have, my family's not in New Zealand. Um, we have Jason's family who's very supportive and I thank God for them. But in times like that, you need your family, you know? And so it has been a, a, a really huge catastrophe and a huge trauma for me and the, and the kids. How did you cope during that time? Uh, poorly. Very poorly. Um, I am very fortunate to have amazing friends and Jason's family, like I said, he, they, um, um, they are natives of New Zealand. So Jason was Maori. And so Maori people have a very different worldview than Westerners. They are very family oriented. They are very much, um, if you need them, they are there. They will drop anything and everything to support each other. And because their worldview is more holistic than, than ours, I think, they don't see death as the end. They see it as someone dies, they go back to their ancestors. Um, and we find a way to ride the waves of grief. And it was a really important um, thing for me to be immersed in that kind of worldview, because that was one of the things that helped me to cope. Um, I thought, because I am, I, I've been you know, a Christian, my, my spiritual practices are very much rooted in the Christian tradition um, for more, more than half of my life. And so Jason and I were missionaries, you know, with YWAM, Youth with a Mission, for over 15 years. And so um, I thought my faith and my spirituality were really strong pillars to help me cope. And to my surprise, they were really shaken because I discovered that we believe a lot of things because they make sense to us rationally. But when your core of your soul and who you are as a human being is shattered, then you start to really question the rational and cognitive, cognitive things that you believe. And they have to become true to your essence. And so my faith was completely deconstructed after Jason died. And all of a sudden I start questioning, do I believe in God? And if I do, what kind of God? Because I, people would be saying things to me like, um, you know, be grateful that he's with Jesus. And I'm like, I am not grateful. Does that mean that I don't have faith? And people would say, you know, God took him because it was God's timing. And that made me feel so angry at God. And I'm like, well, God doesn't need anyone. And I needed my husband. So why would he do that to me? Or some people would say to me, I am so angry at God because he took Jason before his time. And then my response would be like, well, don't be angry at God on my behalf because I really need him on my side. So I was like going back and forth, almost like in this emotional, spiritual seesaw constantly. And I had to find ways to to start 
developing a new relationship with God, not God as I was taught he was, but who God was for me in my experience at that time. And I think that going back to your question, how did I cope? And I said poorly because it, it felt like I was not coping. Um, I had to find a way to redefine my spirituality because I knew that that would be a cornerstone for me to to find some sort of um, comfort and healing. But I also knew that it wouldn't be the same as before. And and I couldn't go to my friends that were Christians because most people didn't understand what I was going through. I didn't understand what I was going through. And then I had friends that were amazing and they were really supportive. And I have one particular friend that she says, I cannot help you because I do not know how, but I can withstand this with you. And I love that because it was like she was present with me. She was able to be with me in my times of distress, in my times when I was really like losing my shit. And she would just be there with me. And, and often she wouldn't say much, you know, or she would just say, I know this sucks. I know this is really hard. And, and that was the validation that I needed. So I had to put lots of boundaries around me. And I had another friend that helped me with that as well. So little by little, I started to figuring, figure it out. It wasn't overnight, but I start figuring out, okay, I need to put boundaries. So that means I'm not going to answer the phone anymore. People can leave a voice message. And when I'm ready, I can respond. It means that um, I will start to say to people, you know, your comment was really hurtful or, or was, was really unhelpful. Please don't say that. Because I think a lot of people that are grieving don't express that because they are scared that they are going to offend other people. I had to also ask certain friends who had been friends for a really long time to not come around anymore. And that was really hard because you see, when you are grieving and you're in so much pain, people feel your pain and they, they love you and they want you to stop hurting. But there is also this part that people want you to stop hurting because it makes them uncomfortable. And so if they say a Bible verse or if they say something or if they do something and you just take it and you stop crying, they feel like, oh, okay, she's okay now. So I've done my job. And it's not like that at all. So I had to find ways and, and discover also that because I was grieving in, through my body, and I think I have this awareness because of over 20 years being a dancer. I was really connected to my body and I used to do yoga before I had to go back into some practices that were more gentle mm -hmm. to release that energy of grief that was trapped in my body and making me hurt. I felt like I was becoming a hypochondriac because everything hurt and I develop um, autoimmune diseases and chronic pain and chronic fatigue and so I thought, I need to look after my body and allow my body to also grieve. How do I do that in a healthy way? So I went into a path of discovering what worked and what didn't. It was, it was trial and error, and I'm still figuring things out. So what was that specific tipping point where you said enough um, is enough? I need to move forward. 
I need to, I need to heal. There was not a specific tipping point. There were many little insight moments. And I think the collection of those moments, when I start listening to those moments, when I start paying attention of, okay, I need to find a way not to be crying all the time because this really upsets the kids but I needed to cry. So I would cry either with my head stuck in a pillow or in the bathroom. And to, and, or, or I would go for a walk, take my dog for a walk and then cry my eyes out. You know, and people would be passing by me. I'm like, what's wrong with her? Um, but I think what happened to me was a little, lots of little collections of moments. Some of them were tiny little things that I just kind of oh, I'm paying attention to this and I need to say to this person, please don't say that. And I would then act on my instinct at that moment. I didn't want to let those moments go to waste. Another time was like, if I needed to say no to some really well-meaning friend that wanted to take me out for dinner and I'm like, I can't do this. Um, but I didn't say no because I felt bad and I ended up going to dinner. And when I was there, I was like, no, I cannot be here. And I would say, look, I'm really sorry, but I have to go. And, and I had to choose myself over choosing pleasing people because, and it's a hard thing when people come with lots of loving suggestions and, and offers, but choosing myself was a big part of that and it wasn't small things and as i was doing that on a constant basis then i start having some big moments of insight and some of those big moments of insights were just like oh whoa that really changed the trajectory of my life cool. um you've mentioned before that there's no moving from grief can you elaborate on that a little bit um, Sorry, I, I misread that. Moving question. on. Moving on from grief. I yeah, apologize for that. That's okay. <laughs> um, so one of my, oh, this was really hard. People would say to me, you know, Jason would want you to move on. Um, I know they meant well, but that was one of the many things that got my blood boiling. And I thought a lot about it. Why am I so upset when people say that? And I'm a writer, so I wrote a lot. One of the ways that I actually cope with grief was through writing. I wrote on my journal. I wrote on Facebook. I wrote, wrote, wrote. And I was trying to maybe purge, get it out of my system, you know? And one day I'm just writing about this moving on thing. And I start wondering, do I need to move on? What does move on look like? What does it feel like? What does that mean? And to me, when, and this might not be to everybody, you know, because other people they're grieving, that phrase might actually be what they need. But in my experience for myself, that was really hurtful because it meant that I had to leave my husband behind of 20 years of a relationship that defined and changed who I was. 
my identity was so wrapped up in the woman I became because I was married to Jason that to move on would mean to forget, to just leave Jason behind and get another husband or figure something out to do with my life and enjoy my life and negate the grief that I was feeling. And I felt that this was dishonoring to Jason and dishonoring to our marriage, to our relationship and dishonoring to me, dishonoring to our children. Because I thought, well, there is no moving on from grief, really. There is only moving forward with it. You can move forward with your grief, but you cannot move on as in, leave everything behind, including the pain and the grief, and create all of a sudden your life is not a blank canvas for you to start again. Your life is a messy, just, it's a a messy building that has been imploded. So you have to start to rebuild brick by brick, but to rebuild, you need to deal with the rubble that is there. You can't pretend it's not there. You can't paint it over it. And so for me, I had to decide how I was going to move forward with my grief in a way that was healthy so that my children wouldn't lose two parents because that's what it felt like at times, that I was losing my mind, I was losing my health, and that I was going to end up hurting myself or even just being really honest, I had suicide ideation all the time because I was hurting so bad. And so for me to decide to move on, I start gathering all those little insight moments that I mentioned to you and honoring them and stepping into, you know, my intuition, my inner guidance is showing me this. I'm going to honor that. And the more I did that, then I start realizing that For me to move on, I would have to carry the grief with me. How do I do that in a way that doesn't crush me? I didn't kind of know, but then I had a really pivotal moment in my life, which was a few months after Jason died, the kids went to a, a youth camp and I was by myself for the first time, completely by myself. And I thought before they go, I am going to organize some catch-ups with some friends. I'm going to, you know, figure out my schedule so that every day I can see someone. um, I can have somebody for dinner or go out for dinner with someone so I'm not completely alone. I I made a, a list of shows I wanted to watch that I never got the chance to. You know, I thought, it's okay, I can do this. And the first day... Um, my friend, something came up with her kid, um, she, you know, her kid end up, ended up in hospital and she couldn't meet with me. And I thought, that's fine. I'm going to go to the supermarket and I'm still going to shop what I was going to cook for both of us for dinner. And I will just cook it for myself. I bought a bottle of wine. I bought a steak. I came home. I put some music on and I cook my meal. And then I sat in front of my meal and I couldn't eat. That's another thing. I lost 10 kgs in a space of three weeks after Jason passed away. So eating was very hard. Eating was very hard. Breathing was very hard. Sleeping was very hard. 
So that day I'm sitting there in front of this beautiful steak, you know, and, and with, a, with a glass of wine, and I just could not eat. I could physically, I couldn't swallow the food. So I drank the glass of wine, and I'm not a big drinker. Like I would go out with Jay, you know, once a week I had a date night. I might just had a, a lolly drink, you know, a pina colada or one glass of Riesling, and that was it. Well, that night I drank the whole bottle of wine. And it was the first night that I slept through the night. And of course, I woke up feeling horrible, horrible. <laughs> but then I did the same thing every single night because it was this, this weird thing. Every single friend that I had booked could not, for legitimate reasons, meet with me. So I ended up every single night for five nights in a row drinking a whole bottle of wine. This is somebody that has no alcohol resistance whatsoever. And um, my kids were coming back on the sixth night. They were coming back the next day. I went to, uh, here in New Zealand, they call it a liquor shop. Um, so I went to, you know, the liquor shop and I drove there and I parked right in front. There was a parking right in front just for me. What are the odds, right? And I put my hand on the, on the key to turn up the ignition and there was this voice from inside of me going, what are you doing? And I paused and I thought, I, I, don't, I don't know what I'm doing. And the voice again, what are you doing? And in that moment, I knew I was trying to numb the pain because it was too much. And I don't know how long I was there you know, with my hand on that ignition. But I just remember feeling like, okay, I can understand now why people become alcoholics, workaholics, sex addicts. I can understand now. The addiction is really a way to escape the pain. At least it was for me. Because it hurts too much. And so in that moment, I decided that I was going to hurt because being with a man that loved me, that cherished me, that I still love because, you know, Jason died, but I didn't stop loving him the day he died. And I thought I cannot dishonor this relationship that has forged me into the woman that I am today. And although I don't, I don't want to hurt, I think that if I don't face the pain and if I don't embrace the grief, it will crush me and it will destroy me. So I drove away and I did not drink again for, you know, for a couple of years. I had a glass of wine, of, um, you know, probably, yeah, two years later. Um, and, and so I think that was really a pivotal moment for me because it was that day that I decided that by embracing my grief and facing the pain, I had to find healthy ways to move forward with it. It's interesting that you brought up this thing. Um, now, I find this aspect of grieving and loss and holding on to so fascinating between us crazy monkeys 
And I call every single human being out there a crazy monkey because that's what we are. We're just a bunch of crazy monkeys running around trying to destroy ourselves. So and I have spoken to a lot of people recently about this, not grieving, but the afterlife. Mm. Everybody that I talk to, and I've spoken to a lady who actually died and came back. Wow. And she said that it was magnificent, that she didn't want to leave. So I mm. find it fascinating. Why do you think that we, f- that we feel the need so bad knowing that where we're going is actually a better place? Why do we feel that missing, that, 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 that the fact that we're hurt? Is it a selfish thing? Now, not, not to knock anybody who's grieving out there. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just trying to understand where does this grieving come from? Will we- it, um, I can't speak for everybody else. You know, I, I can only speak for myself. I am not a grief expert, but I have become an expert on my grief. And for me, the pain comes from the severing the separation. So, and that separation is different for every person because even my kids, they had a relationship with Jason as well. But the two of them had a very unique relationship. It wasn't one like the other. Both of them lost a parent, but it affected them in different ways because their relationship was unique with this one person. And so when someone dies, at least in my experience, because I had several people that I love very dearly dying, it's the, it's that separation that it feels like a part of you has been ripped away and that hurts because we are human. And we know that there will be something amazing after that. Well, some of us know, some of us don't. It depends on your spiritual practices, on your beliefs. For some people, there is nothing. For some people, there is heaven and then there is the possibility of hell and they don't know if their balance is going to tip either way. For some people, is this knowing that something good's coming and they don't know exactly what it is because some, most of us just don't. It's a big unknown, right? And I think for me, the pain, the distress, the anguish really comes because when a person that you love dies, it's not just that you lost that person, you lost everything else that could have come in the future with that person here. Of course, you're still living and you're still going on. And there is other people that you love there. But that person meant something that was so unique to you. And ripping that person away, which is what death does, leaves this, this hole, this absence. And absence is not nothing. Absence is filled with a lot of stuff that makes us feel really uncomfortable and, and distressed. Absence is filled with the loss of hope. There's lots of dreams that you build together with this person that they will never come. So you grieve that as well as 
their presence not being here. I grieve that my husband are not going to walk my daughters down the aisle. And I don't even know if they will marry or not. But I grieve that possibility, that future that doesn't exist. I grieve that, you know, every night when I come home from work, I cook dinner and I set three plates on a table. And for 20 years, I set four plates. Well, no, when the kids were not here, it wasn't that. It was me and him. Everything was me and him. And so say, for example, you know, when you marry someone or when you become committed in a, in a relationship with a life partner, you have to deny certain parts of yourself or you both have to come to a compromise so that the two people can become one, right? And you, you do that in different ways. Some people have joint bank accounts and all your debts are shared and you share the responsibility with the kids and the old parents and you share your dreams and your anguishes and the crap stuff that goes on at work. And, and then all of a sudden that person is not there. So there's nobody to share so anymore. So it's basically just created this giant hole in your life that you can't fill and you don't want to fill. It's not that you don't want to fill, but you cannot fill. There's no way that, you know, so if we go back for when I lost my, my baby, my first, for my first pregnancy, um, people would say to me, oh, don't worry, you're going to have other children. And yes, I did have two other beautiful, lovely kids. They do not fill the hole that my baby left. Nobody can fill the space of the person that died. No amount of alcohol, no amount of work, no amount of making min meaning through good things can fill that space. That's what I mean by moving forward with it. You carry that hole with you. What I have discovered is that the hole, the emptiness is always going to be there. But what you can do is to grow your life around it so that as your life grows around it and you expand and you have other children or you have a new relationship or you find a new purpose and a new meaning in your life, and you find a new creative endeavors or whatever it is, you add those things and they become a safety around that hole. But the hole is always going to be there. Um, I usually ask this from a lot of people, but it doesn't seem fit here. So the question is, do you ever feel like quitting? But you don't have that option. No, I, I, well, I do. I have the option. I think everybody that is grieving and there is ways um, in which we can harm ourselves through our grief. Um, and so, yeah, sometimes to be honest, sometimes I do feel like quitting, but what does quitting look like to me would basically mean that I, I wouldn't, be here in this world, I would choose to exit through my own means, which I think the price for that would be very unfair on my children. And, and, very and unfair to yourself as well. 
yeah, because I would be robbing myself of the opportunity to allow the pain and the grief to help me grow and in doing so share my experience with other people because John honestly it's too much pain to go to waste I feel like and that's why I started my my blog crazy grief and then that led me to write a play and that led me to start a podcast because it's too much pain to be wasted. I feel like I need to do something with this pain. And if this something is just create a space so that people can have conversations about it, so that it's not so taboo to talk about grief and death and dying, so that we can find healthy ways to live with that, because dying is the only certainty we have in life. We have to get better at talking about death if we wanted to create meaningful lives because everyone is going to lose someone or someone you love is going to lose you. And we have to find a way to be better at facing this reality in a way that it is it is a reality that we try to avoid. And like you said, crazy monkeyness because... You know, there is no escape from it. And so, um, yeah, that, that question, I, it's kind of weird for me. I can't really answer that because I think for me right now, it's like I, my option that I'm choosing, I can't quit because quitting for me is not just quitting a job. It's not quitting a podcast. It's quitting on grieving. I, I don't see a way to do that yeah i didn't see it but um, the question was actually how do you do it on day-to-day knowing that there's no well there's an out but we're not even going to be talking about that out knowing that there's not an out how do you do it day to day um some days are better than others jason died three and a half years ago and You know, for some people, three and a half years seems like a lifetime. For me, definitely, sometimes it feels like 30 years. Some days it feels like it's been three days. So I try to keep some well-being practices in place. And I try to maintain them on a regular basis. But I also have discovered that I need to allow myself to not be so militant in those because those are supposed to work for me. I'm not supposed to be working for my well-being practices. And what I mean by that is some, some days um, I will wake up early and I will do my breathing exercises and my meditation and my yoga and write on my journal and walk my dog and, and then start my work, you know. And then there are some days when I just woke up in the middle of the night crying and I cried for a couple of hours and then I couldn't wake up early enough to do all those things. So I might just choose to do a meditation or I might just choose to walk my dog or I might just choose to brew myself a cup of coffee and sit in the sun. And whatever it is, I'm not bound to 
my well-being practices. They are there. I know what they are because I have discovered what works for me and what doesn't through trial and error, which took time. But now I know what works for me. Even though I don't have, and, and some people can say, I don't have the discipline to do that. I think for me, it's not anymore about having the discipline. I think for me, it's more about um, just being in tune with what is the energy that I'm feeling this day and what is it that I need in that moment. Some days I might need to call a friend. Some days I just might need to cry myself to sleep. And so I think that finding the ways to cope are really important, but it's really important to um, develop radical acceptance, radical acceptance. And by that, I mean, every day I have to wake up in that bed and go, Jason is not here. I accept that. And I accept that my life is not the same without him. And I accept that sometimes I resent that. And so I, I have to talk to myself. And many days I have to actually, I put my hand on my chest and going, it's okay, I'm here. I belong to me and I'm gonna be fine. And I'm gonna, and I don't know how I'm gonna face this day. But there were many days when I did not know how I was facing that day and I did it. I'm still here. I talk to myself out loud. My kids laugh. They go, you're so weird. Oh my gosh, you're so embarrassing. But I had to find ways. And, and this works for me. You know, I might be in a supermarket in front of all the eggs. And my, lo my husband loved eggs. And we always had, oh, it was a silly thing. We always had this discussion all the time about the eggs. I wanted to buy the organic ones that cost a lot. He wanted to buy the big trays that were not organic, that cost less, but had more. And buying eggs for a long time was a really hard thing for me. I would stare at the eggs on the shelf of the supermarket and had to put my hand on my chest and go, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. You can do this just pick any egg, doesn't matter. And so I had to give myself affirmations. So at my, in order to cope, and coping is different to every person, you need to discover what you need. And one thing that I think is really important to mention is that a lot of people that are around someone who's grieving, they have ideas about how that person should grieve. Everyone has ideas about how grief should be grieved. You cannot listen to them. You cannot listen to them. You have to discover how to listen to yourself, to your inner wisdom. It's there, but you got to pay attention to it. You got to, you got to, you have to choose to honor it and it will show you, it will guide you each day and each day might be different. I go through say seasons when I'm journaling every single day and then I go through seasons when I'm not and giving myself that allowance. What is it that I need today? Tuning in to my inner knowing, to my inner wisdom and then acting on it. That's how I cope. Cool. So I'm gonna throw a term at you right now, a saying that I heard 
and I want to I, I want your thoughts on it. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. What does that mean to you? Yes and amen. That's what it means to me. I believe that 100%. We are not just human beings trying to fit into a system, into a, you know, some kind of weird um, life where we have to work hard to prove ourselves, to accumulate things so that we will be happy. We're not that. We are not just our bodies. We are not just the we are not just the things that we do and the things that we accomplish. We are, we are that and more. But I think that ultimately we are spiritual beings having a human experience. And while we are here in this life, before we pass on, you know, like, like I said, every single one of us, we had a passage into this world when we were born, and we have another passage out of this world when we die. And, and while we are here, we have all these human experiences. And I believe the human experiences that we have, they teach us how to grow and how to be more in tune with our spiritual part. A lot of us, though, we go through life numb to our spirituality, numb to the reality that we have a soul, that we have a spirit. Many people nowadays are really aware of their bodies. Really, people are becoming more and more aware of their mind. So there is neuroscience, there is epigenetics, there is, you know, meditation is, mindfulness is a big thing right now. And people are becoming more and more awakened to that reality. But we really have to nurture our spirit because from it, our human experience is shaped. And also our human experience shapes our spirit, I believe. Because if, for example, if I did not um, listen to my spirit, which I believe was my spirit asking me that question in front of the liquor shop that time, what are you doing drinking yourself every night to go to bed? What are you doing? If I didn't listen to my spirits calling me out, challenging me on my human behavior, my human experience then would have led me to try to shut down my spiritual awareness. And I see this in people that I know, they do not want to hurt, they do not want, they do not want the pain, they do not want to, to face the hard things, because let's be honest, for you to go deeper and discover what is your spirit trying to tell you, it's hard. You need to be present, you need to choose, you need to be intentional, and this world is con con constantly calling our attention and giving us things for us to be busy, wasting our time and our energy. So you need to be intentional, but that intentionality can help you to grow and have a human experience that is flourishing. But if you just decide 
to listen to your human experience and completely shut down or ignore your spirit, your spirit will languish. And I think that when our spirit is, our, uh, our spirit is languishing, we become miserable human beings. We really do. But if your spirit is strong and if your spirit is full of light and if you're constantly working towards awareness and gratitude, that energy of your spirit will fuel your human body, your mind, so that other areas of your life can flourish as well. Cool. Um, with the increase in people suffering from depression because of this lockdown that we've been through, what's the one thing that you could tell them to keep their hopes up? Hmm. The one thing. I think that, you know, I'm, I'm going back to my, um, my cake story that I mentioned at the beginning of this um, conversation. Do one cake at a time. Be present with what you're doing in that moment, you know. I think it's really easy for us to allow our minds to go elsewhere and our minds just to decide I need something to be happy. And then we miss being present in the moment where we are at. And we miss the opportunities to go deeper with us, with ourselves and with the people that we love. I hear so many people complaining about being locked in with their families and their families driving them crazy. And I go, you know, in every challenge, there is an opportunity. In every single challenge, there is an opportunity if you are open to it. And, you know, maybe the opportunity might be to rediscover who your family members are. Who are you? And pay attention at the things that frustrate you. Because those little trials that we have every single day, especially during lockdown, because let's be honest, it's, it's hard for people to work from home when they have little kids. It is hard to be, you know, in Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting when the dog is barking and you just feel like your energy is down the drain and the kids are fighting. It, it's hard. But there's only so much Netflix that you can binge on and there is only so much, you know, just numbing that you can do without that starting to really affect your mental health. Mm -hmm. So I think that whatever you need to do, the calling is already inside of you. You just need to give yourself some time to pay attention. But do one thing at a time. Train yourself to be present with what you're doing. If you are playing a game with the kids, pay attention. Is your mind just kind of going, oh, my God, I can't stand this. I just wish I was at the beach. I wish I was back at work and da-da-da-da-da. Stop. You have the, the right and the power to stop your own thoughts and redirect them, redirect them into right here, right now, I'm doing this. So I'm going to come back to this. And I'm doing doing this to the best of my ability. And it might be a mundane thing like cleaning the toilet. If you are there, probably hating it, but you're there. 
you know, I think that we are so scattered and we don't allow ourselves to be where we are. And a lot of our mental distress can be avoided if we just start minding what is in our mind. Very good points. Very good points. Where do you see crazy grief for the next five years? Well, where do I see my podcast in the next five years? I, I really hope and believe and dream that this podcast can become a very safe space for candid conversations about grief. Um, I hope that it can bring um, comfort to people that have to, you know, move forward with carrying the grief of the death of a loved one. Um, I hope crazy grief can become financially sustainable because that's really, really hard to do, you know, holding two jobs as a single parent now. Um, but more than anything, I, I think if I can think about, okay, five years from now, I want people to email me and say, thank you so much for this episode because it helped me. It helped alleviate the suffering. And if I can do that for a handful of people, that would be awesome. And if I can do that, it's not about the numbers, but the quality of what people receive from me. Um, because I remember when Jason died, I felt utterly alone. And so if I can somehow alleviate the loneliness for people, even if it's one tiny little drop of a podcast that a day, that would be, I would call that a huge success. And I would love to be paid to talk, you know, so that would be great too. Wouldn't we all? (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is the one question I ask everybody, regardless of what they are, where they are in their lives. If you could pick up the phone right now and call yourself when you were 20 years old, what would you tell yourself? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Um, I would say, girl, you are enough. You do not need to try to fit into anybody else's box. Just be yourself. I would say to myself, um, whatever it is that you do, do it with your whole heart but do it because it's the calling of your spirit not because you feel like you have to to fit in or to please anybody else because everything that you seek is already seeking you don't worry about what life is going to bring and if you can cope because you can cope not only that you are going to thrive and it's going to be beautiful to watch. And there will be moments when your heart's going to be broken. And it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt a lot. But you're going to get up. And everything that broke you is going to be the cracks from where the light that's inside of you will shine through. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's... That's a powerful, powerful message. And that goes to just 
not just your whole 20 year old self that goes to everybody that's listening to this i hope we're, so we're a lot stronger than most people are whereas a few people are trying to make us out to be so i think that message is going to resonate with a lot of people thank you for that you're welcome thank you for asking the question i didn't think it was gonna be like i had to swallow the tears <laughs> that's okay that's okay tears are good tears are good uh, yes, they are. So where can people find more about you? Um, well, people can find me on my blog, www.crazygrief.com. Um, they can also subscribe to my podcast, Crazy Grief, on iTunes, Spotify, Google Cast, um, <laughs> and Anchor. Um, I'm all over the, all those podcasts. Um, places so yeah that would be amazing um i would love to get some five star ratings and some reviews because i'm just starting and i know i have a long way to go um to make this podcast really amazing but it would be really great to get some support and some some feedback yes yeah, so that i can find what guests people want to listen to and what topics they would like to um, talk about um, yeah so crazy grief on iTunes Spotify especially yeah cool cool uh, any final thoughts before we sign off um, don't be scared of grieving even though it hurts because grief grief also brings lots of treasures with it there are things that I could only have discovered and uncovered because my husband died, because I faced the grief, because I embraced it. And would I change it all to have him one more day? You bet I would. I so would. I would change all the wisdom anything that I have, all the growth, all, I would change it all to have another day with my husband. But it's not a choice I can make. It's not a choice anyone can make when you lose someone that you love, you can't make that choice. The choice that you can make is this. Live the best life that you can live today. Because you're still here. And they did not have the chance to live another day. So make your days count. Very, very powerful. Uh, Tatiana, thank you for coming on the show. Um, you have no idea how grateful I am that you came on this show. Your message and your story is probably one of the most powerful things that I've ever heard. And what you've been through and how strong you've become is just absolutely amazing. Uh, just like knowing you for the past, what, eight, almost eight, seven weeks now, it's just like, I just keep learning more and more and more about you. And every time I keep learning more about you, it's just one more power after another, after another, after another. So thank you. Thank you so much for everything that you do. Oh, I, I it doesn't sound like you're talking about me. I like to meet that woman. <laughs> um. you, don't, you don't see it, but uh, there are people out there that do see it. Thank you, John. I, I really appreciate it. I feel so honored that you asked me to come into your, 
you know, to your podcast to have this conversation with you to give me a place that I can talk a little bit about all the stuff that goes on in my personal life. Um, and I do hope that people can find value in it. And, um, and one last thing that I just want to say too is that um, if there are some of your listeners that need to talk about what's going on with them in terms of grief. Look, I'm not a, I'm not a grief counselor in any way. I'm not a professional, but I know that sometimes for me, it was really hard to talk to my friends and family because they had not experienced the loss of a husband like I did or the loss of a baby. And so I think sometimes it's really hard to talk to the people there that are closest to us. So, you know, if people wanted to reach out, um, by all means, go to my blog or my podcast and, and yeah, just send me a message, um, email me. I would be happy to, um, to get in touch with you. And I do, because my husband was a counselor, I know amazing counselors who are really good at what they do and really compassionate, kind people that I can put people in touch with as well. Yep. And for everybody listening out there, I am going to be posting all of the Tatiana's links in the show notes. So you can just click on that and you can either go visit her website or send her a message. Uh, all that will be available to you guys out there. So hard times are just a test of where you are and what you need to, what you need to know when you get out of whatever you're going through, you will become stronger than ever before and you don't need to go through it alone always know that you are not alone stay tuned for more real uh, stay tuned for more real people with amazing stories that are just like yours until then to everyone out there listening i wish you a good morning good afternoon or good night wherever you may be in this crazy world <laughs>